Thank you for joining us for episode 32 of Head Start, a weekly podcast to help Liberty's adult and student ministry life group leaders prepare for the upcoming lesson. So today, as we begin our time together, I want to take some time just to look briefly at our eight learning approaches. Some would call this the eight learning styles. And we're going to roll through this list really quick uh, with just a brief description of each of the eight learning styles. Uh, And then I'm going to ask the guys around the table, which of these learning styles do you personally prefer? Okay, so the first one is as we think about the people in our groups uh, that we're leading, uh, they have a preferred learning style. And so the first one is relational. There are people in your group who are relational people. They are social. They make friends easily, and they uh, they may be a good speaker. Uh, they are people persons. So think about the people in your group that learn relationally. Another learning style is those who learn verbally. Uh, These members learn best through words, reading, writing, speaking, listening. They enjoy the sounds of words. These are individuals who may learn, prefer like a lecture uh, learning style, sitting and listening to someone speak. There are people in your group who enjoy or prefer a visual learning style. Some choose to exercise, uh, uh, choose to do exercises that create their own pictures and visuals of what they're learning. They, they see in their imagination, uh, if there's not any concrete visuals being used, they will actually see what you're talking about in their mind. They're visual learners. There are reflective learners. Uh, these individuals understand who they are and how they feel. They, uh, they're comfortable with periods of quiet. Okay, come on, go ahead. (laughs) And then there are others who maybe don't enjoy that. Uh, But the reflective learner would long for you for times to just stop talking and allow them to to reflect on what you've said. They they yearn for that. There are people in your group who are logical learners. These types enjoy problem solving and and reasons uh, and they reason through difficult situations and they rely on analogies. They're logical learners. They're duck, 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 putting pieces together, right? They make lists. Uh, they're also physical learners in your group. Physical group members are active. They have good coordination. They play out a story. They enjoy hands-on activities, right? Uh, They're physical learners. Uh, There are also people, number seven, that in your group who are musical, right? They're musical learners. These people enjoy music. They tend to be good listeners. They uh, find it easy to express themselves through music. Like you make a point and they go, oh, this song. Right, and, and and you've probably already thought of someone who is a musical learner. Uh, then there's natural learners. These people who are explorers, they enjoy the beauty, investigation, and exploration of God's creation. And and they they when they think of God's word and they see those pictures of describing places in Scripture, they can put their, their in their minds. They can go there. So, fellas, around the table, who are you? Which learning style do you have? I think I am probably uh, I probably lead with um, logical or verbal uh, okay. a logical or verbal learning style. When it comes to like putting things together, though, I have to see it. Like mm-hmm. I can't just 
uh, I can't just look at something and be like, oh, I know how that works. Mm -hmm. I have to see it come together. So there's definitely an element of visual learning in there as well. Uh, but I think the love for analogies and for step-by-step -step linear thinking, uh, that sounds a lot like me. So I think logical is probably my first one. Okay. Would probably go verbal is probably my first one. Yeah. Logical would be a close second. Um, visual, yeah, I, I, to see how it comes together. And then I really do like some silence. So reflective yes. is perfectly fine with me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, that those four would definitely hit me. It's we good. should do a silent podcast one week for wow. a silent episode. And yeah. meditate on these things. <laughs> I guess um, uh, what you've reminded me of is I struggle to learn. I'm struggling to remember these eight things that I didn't write down of how people learn. Uh, so uh, I, I would say verbal and visual will be my top two, uh, and they are two and three on Matt's list. How about that? Yeah. He just handed me his list where I can see it, visual <laughs> learning. So uh, verbal and visual. Uh, probably will be consistent. Uh, me, I'm going to go visual, and and I'll go with the. I'll put in a second in there is the physical to be able to 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 play it out and to be able to see things uh, and to actually uh, go to places in my mind in in putting pieces of the story together. Uh, so, mm -hmm. so leaders, as you think about this, each of you have a preferred learning style, and just like us around this table. With that in mind, you most likely, because that's your preferred learning style, that's likely the way you prefer to teach. And that is awesome if everyone in your group enjoys that, has that learning style or enjoys that. And as you heard, just briefly as we went around this table, we have differences. So do you in your group. You have differences. So my encouragement is for you to stretch yourself. Stretch yourself in that maybe if a reflective is not something that you naturally, that's part of not naturally the way you prefer to learn, know that there are someone in your group that, that likely does prefer that. And if you were to give a moment of silence in your group, that individual would connect so well with that. So think about uh, those other learning styles that maybe not are your preference, but you could use those as tools to better connect with your group. So with that being said, uh, know that uh, as this podcast drops, uh, you should be ex receiving an email that's going to give you greater detail on these eight learning approaches. So it's not just, you know, you're hearing us talking about it. You can go back and look at it and, and, and evaluate your own group through the lens and yourself and how you can better use these learning approaches, these learning styles to connect with your group. So real quick, just a learn, learn leader challenge there. Uh, walk down that path as you look at your group and better seek to desire or seek to uh, connect with them better. All right, so we're going to move forward in the podcast. Uh, we want to, uh, our primary focus here is to look at John chapter 13, verses 1 through 15. And Brother Tim is going to walk us through this passage. So let's, uh, let's do that now. Thank you, Matt. Uh, we jump into our series, More Like Jesus. Uh, again, just a reminder, that's our prayer and heartbeat as we go through our measures. This is measure number three, a friend who loves others. Uh, bottom line, we are able to live differently in our relationships because of the love that Jesus 
has given to us and the power of the gospel that is at work within us continually. And so the call is to live differently as a friend who really loves others as Christ has loved them. Uh, We are in the gospel narrative of John, and uh, just uh, remember that as John is inspired of the Holy Spirit, he is writing to present Christ, uh, Jesus, as the Christ, the longed-for Messiah, uh, the one who is the Son of God, the one who came as a Jew to restore God's covenant people. Yet in chapter 1, he reminds us the very people that should have embraced the Messiah rejected him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But the good news, verse 12 of chapter 1, as many people who did believe in him, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And now as children of God, we can, by his power at work within us, live differently And uh, throughout this gospel narrative, Jesus calls us to look to him and follow him, follow his example, follow uh, his teachings. And uh, chapter 20 and verse 31 is a verse you want to read. It is, I think, the, the key to the gospel narrative of John, where he says, But these things were written that you may believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Uh, Our text uh, is in John chapter 13, verses 1 through 15. And I love the way Warren Wearsby began to lay out an outline. He said the emphasis in John 13, verses 1 through 3, is what our Lord knew. We'll come back to that. Jesus knew that the hour was come. And what he did, verses 4 and 5, the example that he said. And I would add to that, verses 6 through 15, what our Lord taught. So what he knew, what he did, and, and what is he teaching in this passage? Uh, John 13, 1 um, reminds us that Jesus did know that his hour was come. Often in the gospel narratives, you hear him say, it's not yet time. The hour is not yet But now it is time that he would be glorified through his death, resurrection, and ascension. And uh, from a human point of view, as the disciples related to him in person, uh, it meant something far different than they ever anticipated their Messiah doing, and that's going through suffering and death. Uh, But from the divine point of view, it meant glory. This was the purpose for which Jesus came This would be the path for which um, sinful people could be redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And so Jesus is uh, giving us an example, I think, uh, that foreshadows what is soon to come at the cross. And so John begins chapter 13 talking about the timing. It's during the events of the Passover, uh, the annual Jewish festival commemorating God's deliverance of Israel from bondage in Egypt. Uh, Hopefully we're familiar with that. It might be good to set that context as we teach uh, the name derived from the, uh, this name, the Passover, remember, is derived from the uh, death angel passing over the houses of the Hebrews when uh, he killed the firstborn of the Egyptians. Background, Exodus, uh, around chapter 12, would be good uh, to go back and review. But uh, this also, uh, this Passover will be the last one that is divinely authorized to remember that Passover from Exodus because now there's going to be a new memorial, a, a new 
uh, thought process of the new covenant, uh, recalling the Lamb's blood, uh, not just on the doorpost uh, of those in the past, but the blood of the Lamb uh, who died in our place, and His blood was poured out for forgiveness of sin. And so uh, this meal, the elements, as we know, is, is taking on new significance uh, through this hour that has come of Jesus' death and burial and resurrection. Uh, so more than a chronological reference, it's uh, foreshadowing the sacrifice of the Lamb of God. Uh, and John the Baptist cried at the very beginning, Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So the Gospel of John uh, up till chapter 13 has been building upon this point when the lamb would take his place on the altar and his blood would be shed for the forgiveness of sin. So as we talk about this familiar example that Jesus is establishing, we remember he's really uh, teaching some lessons that are foreshadowing uh, his selfless emptying of himself and sacrifice, sacrificial love uh, for those of us who needed forgiveness. Uh, Jesus gives these uh, disciples now an example to follow. What he knew is it was time, and what he did uh, was something unprecedented. He, um, he uh, at this time of the meal, he, he took the position, the posture of a menial servant, a household slave. Right. And so, uh, you know, for us to wrap around this, we need to understand this, this isn't just a, a rabbi or teacher or one that is important. This is the Lord of creation. It's almost incomprehensible that uh, Creator God and ruler of the universe uh, stooped down and took on the, the position of that uh, household slave and washed the nasty feet of the disciples. And, and just remember back in the day, they, they wore sandals and uh, they walked on dirt roads. And so it, it was um, uh, a measure of hospitality in homes that was the norm. Uh, and, and it was normally done by servants, um, and there was a need. Their feet were dirty. I, I kind of think, you know, what kind of menial task would that compare to today? It, it might be cleaning the toilet. I don't know. It was not a, a good um, thing to do. And so Jesus stoops, and he begins to wash their dirty feet. And he's setting an example of a selfless and sacrificial love and that one of a humble servant, and teaching them a lesson about service. And so this act of service demonstrates to these guys uh, really the love of Jesus. And um, it is an example that he's teaching them that none of you are above serving in this way. Uh, you're not too big to do the simple and lowly task of a servant. And if you think you are, then the saying goes, then, then you're too little to handle the big task. And so Jesus doesn't, uh, as he stoops and washes their feet, in no way does he deny his character by serving them in this way. Uh, his character makes this act of service, uh, service and servanthood uh, far more profound to think that the Lord of the universe, creator God, is stooping to wash my feet. Uh, what follower of Jesus has the right to ever refuse serving? And so I think that is a, a question that we need to ask. Do we think that, 
that there's places of service in the body of Christ that are beyond us, are too menial for us, are too simple, are too hard. Uh, I think it's a good good time to press in uh, and check our attitude. Do we think we're too big or too important to serve in certain ways? But his example of service also, we learned that no one is below being served. Uh, don't miss who's around the table. Uh, Judas is among them still. Yep. And even though Satan has already entered in uh, to uh, Judas and and he is um, contemplating how he is going to give Jesus up and betray him, uh, Jesus understood not only that his hour had come, but he understood the purpose of the Father, and he understood what Judas was about to do. In spite of that understanding, as Judas has sided up with Satan, Jesus still took his feet in his hands, no doubt possibly looked him in the eye, and with the same selfless, sacrificial love, he washed Judas's feet. No one is below being served. And, and um, sometimes we count people off, uh, write them off or count them out. And uh, Jesus just set an example of a uh, sacrificial and selfless love that goes far beyond our thought process many times. So no one is below being served. And Jesus narrows the focus in verse 14 uh, as he talks about what he just did. Uh, and, and the first priority for every child of God of serving is that humble servanthood within the body of Christ. It doesn't mean that we ignore those or turn a blind eye or deaf ear to those outside the church, but the first order of business is to meet the needs of the one another's that are brothers and sisters in Christ. And uh, so we, we as friends who love others uh, learn from our Savior's example humble service, selfless service, sacrificial service. Uh, it cannot be counterfeited. Uh, it is a willingness to be inconvenienced for someone else's benefit. And um, that, that is a huge task. And we as believers need to understand we cannot be that kind of friend who loves others without the power of the Holy Spirit at work within us. This is not a love or service of the world. This is of supernatural proportions, that it is the work of the Holy Spirit and the life of those who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Uh, then you come to that interesting, um, Peter steps out and opens his mouth and inserts his feet, uh, as he did often, and uh, Peter, Peter realized what Jesus was about to do. I mean, here is our master, our our Lord, and, and he is stooping, taking the role of a household slave to wash our feet. And Peter said, Lord, uh, did you wash my feet? And he protested. Uh, the, the disciples were, I, I guess, bystanders in this conversation, but it's there for a purpose to uh, teach us uh, how Jesus dealt with Peter's protest. Uh, in this culture, for a superior to wash the feet of an inferior was unheard of. Whether you're Jewish or Roman, it didn't matter. This is just an unheard of task. And so Peter's outburst reflected that. Uh, and the Lord's reply, Jesus said, What I do, you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. 
it indicates that really only after the death of Jesus and his resurrection and his ascension would Peter finally get it. But as we read the New Testament, we, we realize he and the other disciples did finally get it, that the Son of Man did come, uh, did not come to be served, but to serve and then give his life as a ransom for many. Um, Peter says, never shall you wash my feet. And Jesus said, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Uh, you know that you have no fellowship with me. And so Jesus is correcting his misunderstanding, but Jesus is also digging deeper below the surface to just foot washing in the house to a spiritual lesson, I think, that is here and uh, that reflects salvation and sanctification even, uh, that uh, to take a bath would be similar to our salvation. Uh, and, and the sanctification process would be only to wash the feet. And Jesus is teaching Peter that, that uh, once you've been redeemed, or once you've taken a bath and been washed and you're clean, you don't need to take another bath, uh, but your feet do get defiled. Your feet do get dirty, and they need to be washed. And so I, I kind of see in that uh, that once we're saved, once we've been washed thoroughly by grace through faith in Christ and washed by the blood of the Lamb, uh, when our fellowship with Jesus in, is interrupted by our sinfulness, mm. we do not need to be saved again. Only our feet need to be washed so that we can be cleansed and, and uh, have fellowship with our Lord. And so it's kind of a, a deeper lesson of salvation and sanctification going on as, as Jesus and Peter have that dialogue uh, that he's digging deep. And then Peter, um, in typical fashion, Lord, if that's true, not only my feet, but my, my, my hands and my head. And that's when Jesus leans in and says, hey, you're clean. Uh, you're washed. You don't need the bath. You just need your feet washed. And uh, so that, that cleansing of the redeemed at salvation never gets repeated. But the need for daily cleansing of confession and repentance of sin is is always there. So when God bathes us all over in salvation, he brings about our union with Christ, and that is a settled relationship that cannot change. However, our communion, fellowship with Christ depends on keeping ourselves unspotted from the world. Uh, and if we permit unconfessed sin to build up, we hinder our fellowship and our walk with the Lord. So, uh, then, then Jesus looks at the disciples and he says, you are clean, uh, reminding them that they had taken that step of following him by faith, of, of uh, looking for that cleansing that comes through him. And then he said, not all of you are clean because he knew who was around the table. Judas was there. He was not a true follower of Christ. Even though he went everywhere they went, he heard every teaching that they heard. He saw the miracles with his eyes that they saw. Uh, he heard the call to come follow me that they heard. He was close, but he was not truly one of them. And in his heart, he was not clean. He was not washed. He was not one of the followers of Christ. Uh, and then uh, what Jesus did, he set that example then uh, what is a teaching? Uh, verses 12 through 15. Do you understand what I just did? Uh, the primary principle Jesus wanted the disciples to learn was the importance of humble, loving 
servants. Do you know what I've done? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If then the Lord and the teacher washed your feet, here's the challenge for us. You also ought to wash one another's feet. Bigger than literal washing one another's feet when we gather, it is that willingness to be selfless and sacrificial and even inconvenience to serve our brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. Uh, if the Lord of glory was willing to humble himself and take on the role of a low, one of the lowest slaves, how could we do any less? Uh, I like the way Warren Wearsby wraps it up here. He said, Jesus was the sovereign, yet he took the place of a servant. Mm. He had all things in his hands, yet he picked up a towel. He was Lord and Master, yet he served his followers. It has well been said that humility is not thinking meanly, uh, meanly of yourself. It is simply not thinking of yourself at all. True humility grows out of our relationship with the Father. And if our desire is to know and do the Father's will so that we might glorify his name, then we will experience the joy of following Christ's example of serving others. Selfless, sacrificial, willing to be inconvenienced as we esteem others in our serve. And so, powerful example that Jesus set as he was um, giving that example that foreshadowed his emptying himself on the cross and shedding his blood on our behalf. That's so good. Um, I think of, you know, just as we in the church, like finding that corollary to what does it look like to wash each other's feet today? Because we all love the picture and we love the idea of this kind of service. Uh, but man, living it out on a daily basis is, is just so hard. I remember when I was at Bryan College, it was a tradition uh, that the first week, um, the seniors on campus would gather with the freshmen, the incoming class of the year, uh, in the cafeteria in kind of a private, you know, ceremony, and they would wash our feet. You know, the seniors would wash the feet of the freshmen. Um, and that was cool, uh, but man, it was way more important that they actually cared for us than throughout the rest of the year. And at Brian, that was an expectation and something that we all uh, we all took seriously, even as we became the senior class that washed the feet of the freshmen behind us. So it's important for us as the disciples to take Jesus up on this challenge. And that's where the measures moment in your curriculum comes in. Remember, this whole series is really easy for these measures moments because we're literally walking through the measures uh, and, and hopefully bringing some greater clarity to them. Uh, but I want to highlight with this one, if you look back at verse 3, uh, Jesus was able to have the attitude that he had because of what he knew that Tim mentioned, right? In verse 3, it says, Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands, that he had come from God, and that he was going back to God. It is so important for us. In fact, we won't live out what it means to be a friend who loves others. And, a, you know, it, it, we, we won't um, be servants like Jesus wants us to be servants if we don't also have that same kind of confidence, right? Now, the Father's not given everything into our hands, but he has given us Jesus, right, uh, who has died for us and done everything that we need for life and godliness. Uh, 
we are returning to God one day, right? Those kinds of things empower us to take up the call to be true servants. And so uh, in your curriculum, nice and blue, interrupting the flow of it because we want this to be really important in your group. Anyone who wants to be a true and godly friend to someone else must strive to live like Jesus, uh, who not only lived his life as an example of how to be a friend, but also spelled it out clearly in this passage. As part of his command to be a friend, he clearly stated that we should love as he loved and be willing to show sacrificial love and humility to those around us. Again, not just the idea of service, but the actuality. I love that phrase of, are you willing to be inconvenienced for your friend in the faith? Uh, and then the curriculum spells that out, right? Washing the disciples' feet was not about the literal act of cleansing, but was an indicator of the heart attitude that we need to cultivate. We're willing to go however far, to stay however long, and to sit uh, with our brothers and sisters as long as is needed. And that's related to the question that I want to highlight in the curriculum. Um, and it's a hard one to answer, but to throw out there, um, what makes it difficult to love others in the way Jesus has loved us? Um, and so that can come down to all sorts of reasons, whether it's our own pride and self-righteousness, whether it's hatred for a brother or sister, um, or our unwillingness to be inconvenienced. It can be any number of things, but I think it's good to spend some time in the group to just ask um, for you personally, what makes it difficult uh, most of the time to to love others in the way that Jesus uh, has loved us? So that can lead to some really good conversation. Uh, as well as that, when you go to the end of the curriculum and you start challenging your people to live it out, I want to highlight both of these points for you. Two great questions that are real practical and will help uh, move you in the direction of uh, following Jesus obedient here. Uh, so, number one, what do you need to do to show sacrificial and humble love as a friend? Uh, now, this could be with the people that are in your house, your family. It's a great place to start could be with the people that are in your life group uh, or just somebody who you know is in need. Uh, actually generate some ideas there, right? Because that's going to lead you right into the second point uh, for Live It Out, which is to find at least one way this week that you can express love to another believer. And then I love this, something that costs you something, right? So whether that's money or time or convenience, find a way uh, to inconvenience yourself, uh, to cost yourself uh, something by which you can express love to another believer. That last one really does ask a little bit of us because we're not really big on being inconvenienced. <laughs> uh, so that's good. I like that. Um, so uh, thank you, fellas. I appreciate your time and investment into helping us as we look at this passage of Scripture and as we seek to lead, to best lead our groups. Uh, we have a couple of announcements that we need to uh, shine some light on, and so um, Kyle is going to point those out to us real quick before we wrap up. Yeah, so uh, on Wednesday the 17th, uh, our e-groups begin, and so uh, this is a new semester of uh, our Wednesday night activities, and so we have four new e-groups uh, that are being offered. Our very own Brian Alderman is leading uh, the first one uh, called Lead Like Jesus. Uh, I'm going to lead one that is called Praying for Your Children. 
Uh, Leon is going to be leading one uh, that is called Gospel Truth in a Confusing World. And so in there, he'll be talking about specific uh, social issues and cultural topics from a Christian worldview. And then uh, the fourth group is kind of different. Uh, it's on the five types of prayer, and Mike May is leading that. But we're doing something different this semester where we're offering a four o'clock class rather than a six o'clock. And these are for those that may need an earlier time, maybe those that uh, don't really like to get out and drive in the dark. Um, and so Mike May is leading that one. That one begins at four o'clock. Then our meals are at five, and then the rest of the e-groups, the other three, are going to be at our normal six o'clock hour. And so really want to encourage you and uh, the people in your life group to uh, participate in this semester of e-groups. And so that's uh, something that you can register um, in your life or online, excuse me, at the, uh, at the website. If you'll go online to the website, you can sign up for both meals and uh, e-groups. We also have a leadership gathering that is going to be happening on January 28th. That's a Sunday. That's going to happen at 3 o'clock, and it'll be in the East Venue. And you all being life group leaders are uh, all invited, uh, you and your assistant uh, leader, uh, to, to come and be there and uh, hear what's going on uh, in terms of leadership uh, matters here at uh, Liberty. So definitely want to include you there, invite you to be there. You can register. Yeah, so we'll send you more information about we will how you can send register. You more information about <laughs> how you can register that. when that time comes. So definitely want to go ahead and have you put that on your calendar. So those are our announcements for this week. Excellent. Uh, leaders, thank you for joining us for episode 32 of Head Start. We look forward to seeing you on Sunday.